You're expecting your second or third baby and you're considering having a vaginal birth after cesarean, known as a VBAC. But making sense of all the risks associated with both VBAC and repeat C-section can be overwhelming. Today, we will break down how to interpret those risks and weigh your options. This is Preggy Pals. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant. And I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit! I've got kinkles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Stephanie Glover. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who've joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See our website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app, available in the Android, iTunes, and Windows Marketplace. You can also download our new network app, So you can access all of your favorite new mommy media shows on the go. So here's Sunny with more information about how you can get involved with our show. All right. So we are in the process of uh, planning episodes for the coming year for 2016. And we've done a lot of episodes for Preggy Pals. And so we want to have your input on what topics you would like us to explore on the show. So we're always looking for story ideas, but thought I'd put out a special call for it in this episode. So if you have any story ideas, pregnancy related or, or topics that you think that that um, pregnant moms should know before they go into motherhood. Um, those are the kind of topics we explore on Preggy Pals. So you can go to our website at newmommymedia.com, click on the contact link, and there's a website form there. Um, we also have the ability to uh, for people to be able to leave voicemail through our website. So you actually don't even have to pick up a phone anymore. We're just <laughs> doing everything online. Um, and so if you, again, go to our website, there's a little gray banner on the side that says send voicemail, and you can just use the speaker and the microphone and your computer and send it that way. Uh, what else? Um, well, Stephanie was talking about apps. So uh, we like to talk about different pregnancy apps on the show. And so if there's one that you have on your phone, I, I know a lot of pregnant moms have several on their phone. So if there's a couple that you like, um, share it with us. We'll check into it and perhaps we'll review it on a future episode. So those are some ways you can get involved. All right. Thank you, Sunny. Sure. So let's uh, get to know who we're talking to here on this episode. We'll go ahead and go around and introduce ourselves. I'll start. So again, my name is Stephanie Glover. I am 33. I host Preggy Pals, and I'm also a trained childbirth educator. Um, No due date. I've got two kiddos, though. Gretchen is four, and she was my C-section baby. And Lydia is two, and she was my VBAC. And I'm Sunny. Uh, I'm producing today's show, and I am the proud mama of four kids, ages five and under. So we had ours, boom, 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 boom. And uh, I've got two boys and two girls, and the girls are twins. So that's how I did it, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Everyone's like, wow, she was busy for like four years. And we were busy, but not as busy as you think. Um, So uh, yeah, no VBACs. Uh, My first baby was uh, a vaginal birth. That was my only vaginal birth. Uh, And due to some complications, I had to have C-sections after that. And Jen, you're a mom. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Jen Camel, founder of VBAC Facts. I've got two kiddos. My daughter, who was born in 2004, so she's almost 12 now, and I had a C-section with her for a single footling breach, and then I had a VBAC with my son in 2007, and he is eight years old now. Awesome. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. So before we get started today, we have a headline that I want to share with you guys. You have heard of the Fitbit, Stephanie? Yes. Yes, Fitbit. Jen, you've heard of the Fitbit? Absolutely. Okay, (laughs) so check out this headline. Fitbit helps man discover wife's pregnancy. So this is what happened. (laughs) I know. There's a lot of ways to find out if your wife's pregnant, right? So leave it to Fitbit to tell us all about ourselves. Um, Okay, so this guy recently noticed that this device was showing that his wife had logged 10 hours in the fat-burning zone. And he thought that was impossible due to her level of activity. You know, obviously, you'd have to be doing a lot. I mean, 10 hours of straight fat-burning. I mean, who would even be standing at that point, right? Um, Anyway, she had a consistently high heart rate. And again, this is all co- according to the device. So the guy thought that the device was defective. And so he's on some sort of message board talking to other users and I'm sure trying to get a hold of Fitbit <laughs> to figure out why his wife's device is broken. And one of the users actually said to him, you know, has your wife, you know, recently experienced anything stressful or is she pregnant? And so the guy, you know, they had just started to try to have a baby and he's like Aww. putting two and two together. And I don't know how long it took. The article doesn't really right. go into that. But apparently that's how he found out his wife was pregnant. <laughs> and uh, oh, I'm, I'm sure uh, Fitbit's all over this now. I'm sure their marketing people are going to be <laughs> running with this story. You'll probably see it a lot online. You know, Fitbit, you know, now can announce your pregnancy <laughs> right. for you. <laughs> but I know Fitbits are really popular now. And I just thought it was kind of like, you know, just a fun little headline for this morning. Did she know she was pregnant yet? You know, it doesn't really, it's just all, this is all through his perspective. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't really say anything uh, about the the wife. I'm assuming that she didn't. Well, obviously if she did, she didn't tell. Right. (laughs) But, uh, That's funny. So anyways, so if you have a Fitbit, you know, I don't know. You don't need to pee on a stick anymore. Yeah. Maybe you don't. Yeah. See how high your heart rate is. Today on Preggy Pals, we're discussing the risks associated with VBAC and repeat C-sections and how to make sense of all the data. Joining us on the phone today is Jen Camel, founder of VBACFacts.com. Jen learned firsthand that more resources and information were needed for women seeking VBACs and has made it her mission to collect the data and share it in an easy-to-understand terms for uh, expecting moms. So thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we've covered VBAC on a few um, previous Preggy Pals episodes, but in this episode, we really want to focus on the perception of risks and understanding what these statistics mean. So, you know, like to get started here, can we talk about what sort of risks we're looking at? Like VBAC moms often hear about like uterine rupture. That tends to come up a lot um, when you're researching whether or not to have a VBAC and what your risks are. So what is the statistical likelihood of a uterine rupture? Well, it depends on a few different factors. First of all, where is the scar on your uterus? Is it a low transverse or horizontal scar, or is it a scar that's higher up on the uterus? So that's the first thing to look at, and you can confirm that via your medical records. Then you also can look at whether your labor, your VBAC labor, is induced 
augmented or spontaneous labor, because that also has a big impact on your uterine rupture risk, which is why many providers want women to go into labor spontaneously as opposed to being induced for a medical indication. Spontaneous labor is ideal. Okay. And um, when we... When we're thinking about risks associated with VBAC, you know, how does this rate compare to other obstetrical um, complications that can occur in a pregnancy without a prior C-section? You know, often we talk about just the risks following the surgery, but what, how can we compare that? Yes. So the rate of uterine rupture varies depending on the scar type, depending on induced, augmented, or spontaneous. But generally, for a low transverse scar, it's about 0.4%, which is about 1 in 240 Okay. to 1 in 100, which is a 1% statistic. So those that range is similar to the range of obstetrical complications that can occur in a first-time mom who's never had a uterine surgery. And so it's how we talk about these risks that really influences our perception of risk. And so when women are pregnant for the first time, they're often not told, well, you have this risk of cord prolapse or you have a risk of shoulder dystocia. They just go along their pregnancy, and since these risks aren't continually brought up to them, like uterine rupture is frequently brought up to VBAC moms, they're left with the perception that their pregnancy has an extremely low risk. As opposed to women who are pregnant after a cesarean, how uterine rupture is discussed in our general society and how people, even who don't even have children, are aware of these, quote, risks of VBAC, there is this overall cloud of risk that seems to follow the mom, but does it accurately reflect this gigantic additional risk? No, it doesn't, because there isn't this gigantic additional risk. But the way that we talk about these risks certainly influences our perception of what, what they really are. You know, that's actually a great point. And Sunny, when you, did you take your childbirth education classes with your first? I or, did. Do you remember them talking about cord prolapse or any of these risks with your first? I don't remember it, but I didn't know a lot (laughs) going into that. So if it was something that, um, I mean, when I did my class, I did like one of those cram it in a weekend Mm -hmm, classes and um, they could have said it and I would have been like, do I need to know that? Is that something I need to know, you know, for the next two weeks? No. And it (laughs) might might have been a fleeting moment, you know? And it could have been because it was presented to be such a low rate too that you might just tune it out. Because yeah, I I don't recall learning too, too much about that. I mean, I'm a reader, so I did read some pregnancy books front to back, but never did I have a fear about those low percentage things. So I think, Jen, that's a really interesting and important point that I think, especially with first-time moms, I mean, first-time moms, I completely just didn't read the C-section part. Yeah. Well, because you don't (laughs) think it's going to happen to you. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so you're like, ah, I don't need that. And then you're that person and you're like, I should have read the chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the things I didn't know. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting, too, talking with different childbirth educators because I was working on my curriculum to teach students and... I thought, in my mind, and perhaps because I'm a VBAC mom and we are presented with risks and sort of how to um, to combat them or to address them, I wanted to share about cord prolapse. And I remember talking with one of my mentors and she's like, you know, we don't even usually mention that, which is kind of interesting because I think now being a VBAC mom, I just go to a place of, well, let's just address everything so that you you know as much as possible. But then there's all that also that element of why it introduce all the fear, yeah, right, if it's a low likelihood. So it's just kind of an interesting balance. Because I think it really depends on the personality that you have. Some right. women feel more comfort 
not knowing all that information. Mm -hmm. And other women, like me, Mm -hmm. find comfort understanding what the risks are and what would happen because I'm the kind of person that I like a plan. So if I know, okay, if XYZ happens, this is what we'll do, this is how likely it is that will happen, that gives me some comfort, and then I can just shove it in the back of my mind. But it is the great unknown that is scary for me. So I think parents need to kind of have a little heart-to-heart with themselves about what kind of person are you? Do you find comfort knowing what will happen if you are that statistic? Or would you, do you find more comfort knowing, I, I don't really want to know any of it? Right. Sunny, how are you? Are you? Did you? Oh, I don't. I don't know that I am in one camp or the other. I kind right. of feel like I'm in the middle. Like I, I like the information, but once I start to get scared with the information, I back off. I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's where understanding putting these risks into context really comes into play because it can be really easy to start like freaking out about uterine rupture, but then when you start to think, okay, well, how likely is it, is it to happen? Well. Mm-hmm. I, as a first-time mom, was at the same risk of these other complications occurring as uterine rupture after a C-section. And yet, was I fearful my entire pregnancy about these complications? No. Did people bring them up to me constantly? No. Did my provider bring it up all the time? No. So it goes back to thinking about how are these risks communicated? Because it makes a huge difference when your sister-in-law comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, my OB told me it was too dangerous to have a VBAC. Mm -hmm. Yet... Her OB, quote, allowed her to have a vaginal birth the first time, right. you know, allowed her to plan it because and it, it's all about how those inherent risks are marketed to people. And so one way that we can inoculate ourselves from that marketing of risk is understanding what the statistics actually are. Right. And I, I know that there's been some confusion, too, I think in, in the VBAC community, I'll see it as well, about, yeah, about understanding those risks. Sometimes people will hear a statistic about, oh, well, you know, only, and I'm throwing this number out and you'll probably have a more accurate number, Jen, but let's say like only 8% of births are VBAC. And they'll maybe misread that as that's your likelihood of having one. And they're not taking into account Uh how many women are actually trying for one, you know, and then how many of those women trying for them are successful. And that's a very different statistic and a very encouraging one. But if we don't understand the data, then we you know, we, we are misled often. Yeah. So. yeah. Anytime when you look at a percentage like that, you have to understand what two numbers are included in the computation of that percentage. And so when we're looking at the total VBAC rate in America, we're looking at how many women had a VBAC divided by how many total women with a cesarean birth that year. That's a very different number than how many women had a VBAC divided by how many women planned a VBAC. Right. You know, so Jen, when you had your VBAC, because I know you've done a lot of research to really make VBACFacts.com possible, did you find that when you were in labor, were you thinking at all about your VBAC risks? I'm just curious. You know, I wasn't because your mind goes in a different place when you're in labor. You know, you're not thinking about statistics. You're not thinking about spreadsheets and charts. Your brain goes to this other primal place where you're just surviving moment to moment. And it's fascinating the transition that occurred when I was in labor. Loud noises were really distracting. Bright lights were really distracting. So, you know, you just go to this different place and everyone has a different experience. But I I hear that a lot of other women had that same experience where they had all this information, but then they went into labor and you're just in the moment. 
I love to ask that question because I think it comes up in, in forums where people will say, I'm, I'm fearful going into labor. Will, will my labor be full of worry that something bad is going to happen? And I had the exact same experience you did where I researched yeah. and researched and then I hit labor and I just sort of surrendered. It was never, there was no fear. It was just very primal. It was just a birthing woman, like any other birthing woman, which I thought was, was pretty awesome and encouraging, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, you can't control everything. Right. So there comes a point where you just have to say, you know what, what will be, will be. I, I put forward this plan of my provider and et cetera, et cetera, and so now I'm just going to what will be, will be. And there's only so much that you as a birthing woman can control, and you've just got to let it go. Absolutely. Now, a lot of uh, women going for a VBAC are told that to safely deliver a VBAC, the hospital must have 24-7 anesthesia in the event of emergency C-section. Uh, now, we'll take a look at hospitals all over the country. Maybe some are more rural or just smaller or uh, have sh- or shorter on staff. So can you talk to me about the risks of not having this requirement? Are there any? What are the options for women who are at a, a smaller hospital? Well, I think it's important to look at what ACOG says, the American College of OBGYNs. And they actually do not say a hospital has to have 24-7 anesthesia in order to offer VBAC. So I think it's really important to get that information out there because a lot of people say, well, ACOG says we have to do this, and that's just not the case. ACOG actually said in their most recent guidelines published in 2010 that even if a hospital has a VBAC ban or restrictive VBAC policy, they still cannot force women to have a C-section. And they say in hospitals with limited resources, they should have a discussion with the patient about, okay, well, whatever their resources are. Maybe they have an anesthesiologist on call. Maybe it's their policy that they're 15 minutes away when they have a TOLAC woman laboring. But for the hospital and for the patient to have a discussion about what are the risks and benefits of giving birth at that hospital, what are the limitations of services at that hospital, and then for the patient to decide whether they want to accept that increased level of risk or if they want to have a repeat C-section at that hospital, or if they want to transfer to another hospital, which in the case of rural women might be hundreds of miles away. And then the other thing we have to consider in this discussion is insurance limitations. It's not as if women have their pick of any hospital you want to go to. So it's trying to find a hospital that, quote, allows VBAC and also takes your insurance. The other thing to consider is that any hospital that offers labor and delivery has protocols in place to manage obstetrical emergencies. And so if you have a cord prolapse, if you have a shoulder dystocia, those hospitals have policies in place. Those same policies are applied to uterine rupture. No special response is needed. And so in hospitals that don't have 24-7 anesthesia, they have a procedure in place. So it's not like they don't know what they're doing if there's a uterine rupture. Right. That's what I was just thinking. A first-time mom wouldn't really necessarily be faced with that because she would just be a laboring woman. And if they have labor and delivery, then those procedures would be in place. I recently wrote an article on the subject on the website. You can go to vbacfacts.com backslash 24-7 to read it. But it talks all about this idea that hospitals have to have 24-7 anesthesia in order to offer VBAC. And it puts women in a real tough spot when they are told, well, you can't labor here because we don't have 24-7 anesthesia, or we don't have a NICU, or we don't have insert other qualification here. The reality is any hospital that offers labor and delivery should be able to respond to a uterine rupture or any other obstetrical complication. 
Awesome. So when we come back, we're going to go over the risk associated with repeat C-sections and setting a gestation limit on when a VBAC patient must go into labor. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Jen Camel, founder of VBACFacts.com, about perceived and actual risks of VBACs. So let's move on to cesareans. An argument often made by healthcare providers and well-meaning friends and family alike is that it's safer to deliver via C-section if you've already had a C-section. So while C-sections are important and often life-saving in certain circumstances, can you shed some light on the risks of repeat C-sections? Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are risks and benefits with both VBAC and repeat C-section. And so what is, quote, safer is really in the eyes of the beholder. Mm -hmm. For one woman, she might look at the risks and benefits and say, you know what, I really want a VBAC. And another woman might look at those exact same risks and benefits and say, you know what, I want a C-section. So I think it's important for particularly friends and family, (laughs) well-meaning especially, to acknowledge that just because they would make a particular choice, that doesn't mean that's the right choice for their family member. There's no right way to birth. Everyone gets the right to decide or should get the right to decide which risks and benefits are tolerable to them because they will be the ones ultimately at risk for those complications. And so when we look at repeat C-sections, there's a variety of different risks that can occur and do increase with each subsequent C-section. And unfortunately, many women, especially pregnant after one C-section, are never informed of these risks. Things like placental abnormalities, which who knows what that really means, right? So when a layperson hears that, they're just like, okay, well, whatever. But placental abnormalities are actually extremely serious one of which is called placenta accreta, which is when the placenta abnormally attaches to the uterine wall. And the risk of that occurring increases with each C-section and requires a far more complex response than uterine rupture. Any hospital can't respond to a placenta accreta because you need an ample blood bank and you need a variety of subspecialties. And so how the risk of accreta is communicated to women versus how the risk of uterine rupture is communicated to women is quite different. Sunny, since you've had repeat C-sections, were you aware of these risks? Did you talk to them with your care provider? It never came up. Can you believe that? Although, you know, (laughs) although in doing preggy pals, obviously, I I knew more than I think most people did. My concern, and it ended up not really mattering because I had twins, but I knew after my vaginal birth, after that birth, that every um, subsequent delivery was going to have to be a C-section because of my complications. Mm -hmm. And that was very hard for me to wrap my brain around because I just had this amazing vaginal birth. And I didn't realize that there were issues until after the birth. So it wasn't, it was just a beautiful experience. And I felt like I was just so, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to give my children the same gift that I just gave my son, you know, my unborn children that I didn't even know I was going to have. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, it was, it was very emotional overall for me. And I guess my biggest concern was that I didn't know how many children I wanted to have. And I, I'd heard that the more C-sections you had, the more complications you could have. And, and you would probably get to a point where they said, okay, we've cut you up enough. <laughs> we don't think you should have any more babies. Right. And because um, before I got pregnant with my first son, we kind of struggled with infertility. I didn't want anyone telling me I couldn't have as many babies as I wanted. So mm-hmm. overall, I think it really worked out for me overall because, you know, I have four kids total and babies three and four came in a package. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so it only had to have two C-sections. But I definitely would have been – I mean, I was already a little bit nervous going into the second C-section just on, you know, again, information that I had just from doing preggy pals. But if I had, had to go into a third C-section, I mean, I, I would have been really concerned. Yeah. Well, and I recently shared on Facebook the story of a woman who was wanted a VBAC, was talking to her doctor, and her doctor didn't, quote, do VBACs, but he told her that she could have up to eight C-sections. Oh, my goodness. And so that goes back to the marketing of risk. I mean, right. he's clearly saying even one VBAC, a VBAC after one C-section, is too much of a risk. But you know what? Eight C-sections, you can totally do it. That doesn't make and any so sense. And so that's such a loaded statement. Yeah. yeah. And especially when... That woman goes out and she posts it online, maybe to unknowing other moms, or she says it to her friends and family. And then, of course, her mom might say it to the neighbor, and the neighbor might tell their aunt, and gosh, can you believe how dangerous VBAC is? And look, you can have up to eight C-sections, and it's no big deal. And this is one of the ways that that misinformation can just travel throughout a community and really um, reinforces this notion once a C-section, always a C-section, and that VBACs are dangerous and C-sections are relatively risk-free. I mean, geez, if you can have eight and, you know, it's no big deal. So, and no mention of hysterectomy, no mention of accreta, no mention of ICU admission or operative time, all of these things increase significantly with each subsequent C-section. And so, again, it goes back to this conversation when we talk with other people about risks and benefits, what information is stressed? What information is just completely left out of the conversation? Right. And um, I've had several friends just after one C-section with complications such as, you know, like their bladder was nicked or they had Mm -hmm. such scar tissue. I had a Mm -hmm. friend who opted for a repeat C-section on her second because she wanted a tubal ligation. They were done having kids. And the doctors got in there and said, we can't. There's too much scar tissue. Oh my! Wow. Hubby's got to do something yeah. if you guys want a more permanent solution. And she was shocked. She's like, I hadn't, I, I didn't know. I didn't even know that oh, there would be a. Oh, that's horrible! And then she had her C-section and couldn't even get the. Yeah, so she probably would have gone for a vaginal. I don't or... think she would. Have. Oh, she wouldn't. Okay, <laughs> I think she did want the C-section yeah. regardless. So that, I mean, that worked for her. That was right. what she felt was right for her. Right. But we just don't realize some of these other complications yeah. or infection. You know, I've known so many women who yeah. had infections after, and it's just things that. I didn't know. I mean, I kind of skipped the C-section part. I didn't yeah. have a complicated C-section, but I wouldn't have really even thought of any of those things. Oh, I mean, just just recovering from the scar and being able to move or if you're breastfeeding your baby, like there's a lot that's involved, you know, that I know from after having my vaginal birth, I didn't have a lot of the complications that I had from having a C-section. You know, I, I just felt like I was more active after the vaginal birth faster, right. you know, and, and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of complications after a cesarean. It's major surgery, but I think because it's so common, so common that people think it's, you know, not a big deal. And thank goodness that it often really isn't for many, you know, many women heal fine and it's, it's fine and, and it's a great option. I'm glad we have it. But yeah, there's those other stories then that maybe they don't. But eight, but eight Eight. C-sections, that's a lot. Eight. And imagine the scar tissue on that one, right? Oh man. Yeah. So Jen, another thing that comes up when women are trying for a VBAC and they have maybe a quote unquote supportive care provider. And there's different schools of thought on this. They're given a time limit in gestation. You know, oh, my my care provider is supportive for my VBAC, but he wants me to deliver by 38 or 39 weeks. And when we're talking about spontaneous labor being preferred to lower risks of um, uterine rupture, et cetera, can you speak on that a little bit? Because there are risks associated with having a baby come in an earlier gestation. So could you maybe shed some light on that? 
Well, absolutely. And, you know, the March of Dimes says it's best to wait until 39, 40 weeks because you have lower complications, you have lower NICU admissions, and you also have that those last few weeks are when you've got a lot of brain development and other stuff like that going on. That's pretty important. But the other thing to keep in mind is when do women typically go into labor? And the bulk of women do not go into labor before 39 weeks. In fact, the bulk of women go into labor after 39 weeks. Then we should also look at what ACOG says. I mean, ACOG says that post-term pregnancy, by definition, refers to a pregnancy that is extended to or beyond 42 weeks of pregnancy. Right. And then when we look at ACOG's VBAC guidelines, they're very clear that going beyond 40 weeks alone should not preclude VBAC. So even if a woman goes to 42 weeks, that's not just an expiration date. That's, I mean, ACOG doesn't stand behind this practice of saying, well, you can have a VBAC as long as you go into labor by 39 or 40 weeks. That's just not in line with national guidelines. And I think it's important to acknowledge, too, some women are very aware of when they've conceived. But some women just, they don't know that pregnancy could be a surprise and all they're trying, maybe they're just a little confused about when they ovulated or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the risks too is if you're putting a timeline and you start augmenting or inducing someone who's 38 weeks and they really could be 36 weeks. Oh yeah. my gosh. And yeah. we're just ignoring that then the baby could need, you know, to be in the oh, NICU yeah. or have some other health, health complications just because we've picked a calendar date and we're not really looking at the big picture. And I've seen that happen a lot. And that happens too with plans, C-sections too. You yeah. know, people get in a rush and like, ah, I might as well just take the baby at 38 weeks. Why, <laughs> why be uncomfortable till 40 <laughs> weeks, right? It's the summer. <laughs> like, um, but then you, you might've been off on the dating and, and yeah. your baby could have some issues there. So. Well, and the other thing to look at is that ACOG talks about what is a term pregnancy. And in 2013, they redefined that. A term pregnancy is not until 39 or 40 weeks and six days. Anything before that is considered early term. Well, 37 weeks to 38 weeks and six days is considered early term. Mm -hmm. So really, there should be no medically elective, there should be no elective inductions or C-sections conducted before 38 weeks and six days because the baby's just not ready yet. Right. Sunny, I'm just kind of curious for your repeat C-sections, yeah. what gestation did they schedule your c-sections at oh i fought with them on this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i had modi twins so they were sharing a placenta okay so with modi twins they really don't want you to go past 38 weeks and my first baby was uh nine and a half pounds or something a nine i don't know something like that so i knew my body could hold big babies mm -hmm. um and my second baby was over seven pounds so you know I, in, in being pregnant with the twins i thought well i think i can you know i think i can carry these you know as long as uh, i need to carry them mm -hmm. as long as they'll let me carry them so um i talked with my perinatologist and i i wanted to push it all the way to 38 weeks and um she kind of gave me that look like Okay, we'll try that. You know, so we set it, uh, we set the C section date for like it, it was probably right at 38 weeks. And um, I, in my head, I was like, I just got to make it to that date. You know, I just kept saying the date <laughs> in my head, in my head, in my head. And then um, my, uh, one of my babies broke broke her water. <laughs> Baby A broke water um, about uh, 35 weeks. Oh, so they 35. I don't really 35. I they, early. But you know what? Like they were ready to come out. Like they didn't need the NICU or anything. So wow. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So and, I, and that helped me because again, I really didn't want to have a C-section if I didn't have to. So I was kind of forced in the whole C-section thing because of, again, you know, my first um, yeah. labor and delivery experience. So it, it, it made me feel so much better that they pick their date. And it was yeah. like, okay, well, you know, 
okay, that's fine. It's we'll still C-section, it. but right. and I had to go into labor and I had lots of pain, <laughs> but still. But I, I just felt better about the whole thing. So yeah, I, I wanted to push it to 38. I made it to 35. Okay. Yeah. And Jen, I'm curious, what were the gestations of your two kiddos? I actually went into spontaneous labor with both of my kids in my 38th week of pregnancy. Okay. I know. I was one of those lucky ladies that, you know, went kind of early and wasn't super uncomfortable and 41 weeks and just like, yeah. so well, I, I went nice and early. I was uncomfortable because I had two summer, late summer oh, babies. I had a late summer baby too, man. That was, my first one was. Well, my first one oh. was, and then I said, we're not doing this again. We got pregnant at the exact same time again. So we're very. You should during that time. We are fertile in late November, early December, turns out. But, um, but I was actually, I blessed as well and that I never had to be faced with a going over oh, yeah. situation yeah. and I was I think 39-4 with my first and 38-5 with my second with my VBAC so that worked out <laughs> yeah and then you're relieved of like everyone asking you are you still pregnant are you still pregnant you know you kind of circumvent that whole bit I, I love when women post the, the their um, profile Facebook. picture. Yeah, keep calm. I'm still pregnant. Oh, <laughs> like, that's really smart. <laughs> like, that's don't ask me. You will see a baby in my yes. profile picture when they are here. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, this wraps up our episode of Preggy Pals for today. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. It was so informative. Um, well, for more information about our show, as well as uh, information about our panelists and experts, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of the Preggy Pals Club. After the show, we're going to be talking about uh, understanding the risks of home birth after cesarean, also known as an HBAC. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. All right. So one of the segments we have here on Preggy Pals is called Pregnancy Brain Blunder. So everyone that's been pregnancy knows you do get that pregnancy brain and it's just like you just can't think straight. And so we thought we would make a segment out of this where <laughs> where you guys can uh, share with us your funny moments. And so I actually have a bunch here, but I'm only going to read one of them today. Um, and so this has to do with labor and delivery. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're just not thinking clearly, as we've talked about today. There's a lot going through your head when you're trying to push out a baby. Um, and so Carrie from Massachusetts wrote in and she said um, this was her funny uh, pregnancy brain blunder. She says, during labor, my husband said, quote, nice, deep breaths like he was coaching her. Right. Nice, deep breath. Mm-hmm. Nice, deep breath. And, and she says, and I loudly replied, thank you. They are nice breasts. <laughs> and he was completely embarrassed. <laughs> Which I when I was reading this, I'm like, he's completely embarrassed. Like, why was he embarrassed? Like, I mean, you've seen him before. Like, it's not like you know, there's you know, anything to be embarrassed about. But it's so funny, you know. That's like funny. that would be me because I'd be like thinking, someone give me a compliment, please. Like, you know, your legs are like spread wide open. And you're trying to like push out this baby. It's like nice deep breath. Like, I would I would be that person that totally heard something. Thank you for the compliment, and they are nice. My milk's coming in. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. I think that if someone were to, if I would have thought someone was complimenting my breasts during pushing, I probably would have darted like the evil eye. 
<laughs> well, if it was someone other than your husband, probably. Oh, my right? husband probably would have gotten it. <laughs> Mind out of the gutter, dude. I'm busy. Right. <laughs> Can't you see what I'm doing here? Oh, thank you, dude. Carrie, for sending this in. If you have a funny pregnancy brain blunder, you can email us through the website and we'll read it on a future show. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Newbies, for postpartum moms during baby's first year, Parent Savers for parents with infants and toddlers, Twin Talks for parents of multiples, and The Boob Group for moms who breastfeed. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.